Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And a warning that there may be audio descriptions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died. Today's broadcast is dedicated to refugees and asylum seekers. And... With the upcoming um, Victorian election, there are many, many issues um, surrounding refugees. However, today is not really about the Victorian election as such, although I did want to mention that because there have been a lot of things happening in Victoria. Um, But this is mainly to do with the No One Left Behind rallies that were organised by the Victorian Refugee Action Collective and also from by the Refugee Action Coalition in um, New South Wales. And we'll find out more about that in a minute. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Ian Rintel and we're going to be speaking to him about one, the report back. Hundreds of refugees are protesting for permanent visas and basically um, there was a rally outside the State Library of Victoria at 2pm on Saturday the 5th of November, to demand permanent visas. So after Ian, we'll be speaking with David Glantz as well and speaking to him about that. So really we're going to be speaking about two rallies and the same issue, and I believe that the rally um, that was organised in New South Wales was at the Sydney Town Hall on Sunday. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Samantha Lee from the Redfern um, Community Legal Centre, And we'll be speaking to her about COVID fines and how they're exacerbating financial disadvantage for minority groups and vulnerable communities. So, yeah, stay tuned and we'll be speaking with Ian very soon. From November 11th to 13th, at Catalyst Social Centre, NAM's newest radical community space, comes Catalyst Festival, a weekend of connection and resistance. There'll be workshops and talks on decolonisation, alternatives to police and queer and trans parenting. Performances from Sky Belly, Double Doll String Band and Race Rage, plus films, food and more. Full programme and more info at tinyurl.com forward slash Catalyst Fest Programme. Catalyst Festival this weekend at Catalyst Social Centre, 146 Sydney Road, Coburg. Catalyst Social Centre is a 3CR supporter. Ten years enough, refugees rallied in Sydney for permanent visas. Hundreds of refugees and their supporters rallied at Sydney Town Hall. On, at 2pm Sunday the 6th of November to demand permanent visas for, for refugees on temporary and bridging visas. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Marissa. Lovely to have you. Yep, OK, Jeff. Thanks. Nice to be here. 
So anger's been growing in the refugee communities as Labor's delay in meeting its election promises drags into months. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, sure. Like, I th- <clears throat> it's one of the very obvious things uh, since Labor was elected. They, were, they promised that people who are on temporary protection visas and the safe haven enterprise visa, which is also a temporary uh, visa for refugees, they promised that they would be scrapped and replaced with, you know, permanent visas to give them permanent, <clears throat> you know, permanent residency, and that uh, would lead to the possibility of citizenship further down the track. But we're now six months into the new Labor government and in spite of many meetings with the minister where he said that, you know, a change is uh, is imminent, um, it's, it's going to be an announcement soon, uh, yeah, yeah, the Labor remains committed, you know, to uh, granting permanent visas, uh, there's still, there is still no timeline. Um, so... <clears throat> As as the you know delays got worse and worse, I think the anger you know has got you know has got bigger and bigger. There was a very big you know demonstration at the previous sitting uh, parliament in September um, by about sixteen hundred uh, refu- refugees. Um, so you'll be talking to Dave about the Melbourne one which happened on Saturday. Sydney's happened uh, you know yesterday. We had a couple of couple of hundred people at that demonstration in you know in Sydney, uh, and there's a lot of planning now going into uh, you know a much bigger demonstration in Canberra. On the 29th of November, you know, unless we actually hear something, well, I think the protests in Canberra will probably go ahead anyway, but it's to make the point, we need to hear something from the Labor government every day that goes by just increases the, uh, the misery for people who are stuck here and uh, for their families that they've not been able to, uh, you know, make an application to reunite with, they've not been able to travel, you know, to, to see them. So how has Labor's budget failed to address any of its election promises regarding refugees? Well, uh, by, by the complete absence of any mention in the budget at all, there was absolutely nothing in the budget about uh, trans, you know, transferring uh, the temporary, temporary visas into protection visas, nothing. You know, no announcement, no allocation of money, you know, if that's what it's going to take, although we'd argue that there's really no allocation of money necessary. Uh, we've been through this process before. Labor's been through the process before of uh, trans, transferring people on temporary visas uh, to, to, you know, Permanent permanent visas. Um, there's been a number of ways it's suggested to them that it can be done. It can be done via regulation. It could be done by, you know, ministerial, uh, you know, intervention. Uh, there's no there's no reason for it to take a huge amount of effort or a huge amount of uh, you know labour. What it what it does require is a very clear commitment uh, that the that the transfer be done. No one can really understand why we're now six months into a new Labor government and haven't and haven't got that uh, decision. So it wasn't in the budget in October. Um, it, there's not, it's not necessary for anything to be in the budget in May next year. But the idea that we could be, you know, May next year would be 12 months. Um, it's sure something surely has to happen uh, before the budget uh, next year. Yeah, is, I think it's, is it fair to say really that the budget would be a lot more lucrative if offshore processing was discontinued? Well, look, we've yeah, we certainly have made that point, uh, Marissa. I mean, they're, they're shelling out you know almost a, you know, a, a billion dollars more again, you know, for you know offshore offshore detention. Uh, it's unstated now how much money is going to Papua New Guinea because Papua New Guinea is supposedly you know running uh, you know the, uh, supporting the people who are. Uh, who, who labour, you know, dumped there. There's still about 100 people in Papua New Guinea. You've got 100 people around that in, uh, you know, in Nauru, and uh, they're shelling out, what, $870 million, something like that, uh, for this new company, MTC, you know, to run to run to Nauru for no for no reason. Uh, you know, they could bring everybody from Nauru to Australia for, you know, a tenth of that amount, probably less than a tenth of that amount, um, and, you know, allow them to work and live in Australia. We're talking about tiny... You know, numbers of people like, and, and that's also one of the issues. And the, the government's making a big song and dance about, you know, the obstacles to school visa applications and the way in which you know immigration has been stalled by COVID and by, you know, the visa delays, you know, for school visas and so on. There's a, an enormous number of people uh, in in the Australian community, you know, that 
deserve, should have, you know, permanent visas. Uh, most of them are already working. They were the heroes of the pandemic, pandemic who were often in, you know, construction and warehouse and aged care and cleaning services and so forth. Um, no recognition uh, for that they, you know, are the heroes of the uh, among the heroes of the pandemic, uh, they're still on bridging visas that have to be renewed every six months. You've got people who are on the temporary protection visas who, um, even though they applied before Labor was elected, eight months on, they're still waiting to get their temporary vac- visa renewed. There's simply no, there simply is no explanation. It's just a, it's a, it's a, hodge, a hodgepodge uh, that you know really just takes the Labor Party to make a decision that they're committed. To uh, you know, to granting those the permanent visas and beginning that process. And you know, Ian, it's interesting because it, the media doesn't talk too much about what I'm about to ask you, and it's it's actually a very basic question, and I'm I'm sure you'll be able to answer it. In regards to, can you explain to listeners what are these visas now currently that refugees and asylum seekers are on, and how how does that restrict them? Right. Well, the, under, under the, the legislation that the coalition introduced, um, because that when Labor was when you know the Rudd government was elected, they went through the same process, turning temporary visas into permanent visas. The coalition then legislated again so that anyone who arrives by boat can only get you know a temporary visa. Uh, and what that means, a temporary TPV or temporary protection visa is usually granted for three years. Uh, the safe haven enterprise visa is granted you know, for five years. Uh, but uh, the, what the temporary protection visa means, uh, well, the first part is very clear, it's temporary. Uh, so when it expires, every three years, you have to reapply. Um, and that means that uh, it creates an enormous uncertainty because you get to the end of those three years, you have to go through the same process. It's not just renewed. Effectively, you have to make another application for, you know, another protection visa. And in some cases, those applications are... You know, are rejected. So there's no certainty associated. That's the first thing. You know, there are three years. That in itself creates problems about getting you know permanent jobs. Uh, the three-year visa is often a restriction uh, for employers to say, well, you know, yes, you've only got a three-year visa, or you know, the, if less than that, if you're you know halfway through it. Um, you're, but I think the two, the I think there are probably three big things that go along with that. I mean, one is that you you've not got no right to travel. Uh, so uh, it means that you're, you're effectively stuck in Australia. You can seek permission, you know, to travel, but that's not a straightforward process. You've got no no right to travel. You've got no right uh, for um, the family reunion. Uh, so it means that you can make no application for you know your family that are often stuck in home countries or you know other you know transit countries in you know very precarious if not you know as dangerous circumstances as you know it was for you when you you know left Afghanistan or Iraq or you know Sri Lanka wherever it happened to be um, so there the and then you've got no right to study um, so um, it does mean that both for adults uh, who've often been in detention for a long period of time have been you know not able to study because they were in detention they've got no right to study when when they when they come out of detention, but it also means their children, um, who are also are on temporary protection visas, and there are now many many stories uh, emerging of the consequences of being on those you know on those temporary you know protection visas. Uh, they if they want to go to university, they can get uh, school generally up to you know secondary school, but uh, to go to university, they've got to get um, they can pay you know international you know inter- international fees. Um, in some circumstances. The um, you know they well of course there's some scholarships but um, most mostly it means it's impossible for them to continue you know that uh, that study and um, yeah similarly for the even people who are adults when they've come out with those visas they're not to be able to study to further their you know qualifications uh, that they that they might want to have or to get better qualifications to be able to get you know better jobs and so forth so they've lived in very very precarious you know circumstances under the you know the temporary you know protection visas so the bridging visas um, there's you know another grouping of people who um, are still asylum seekers who have made applications but have been rejected um, I don't go into all those details associated with that but it is a fundamental problem with the fast track system that the coalition 
you know, introduced because it was designed to reject people. Uh, so you've got, you know, Afghans that were told it was safe to go back to Kabul who have now on bridging visas rather than protection visas. They're even worse because they're only for six months. Uh, they have to be renewed every six months. So, you know, it, it magnifies, the, you know, the problems enormously, you know, to get jobs or to be able to rent, you know, someplace, uh, you know, someplace to live. Um, you know, they've got no, uh, some of them do have the right to work, but they don't have any access to, you know, to, you know, to Centrelink or other, you know, in, you know income support. Uh, so you've got a very large number of people who, um, you know, have been, You've badly treated by the refugee assessment, you know, process, but effectively supported by, you know, charities, refugee groups, uh, their own refugee communities. Thank you so much for explaining that, Ian, you. because I think a lot of the time there's a lot of confusion, mm. um, yes. and confusion breed, can breed ignorance and racism. Yes, I think people do need to understand, you know, just just how badly uh, they they have been treated, you know, and just the the very bad conditions that are associated with the you know the temporary protection visas and the chefs and the you know the bridging visas. Um, so yeah, yeah, the people like I said, yeah, they do, did that, that understanding I think uh, does make it clearer, you know, why uh, the chefs, the TTVs, the bridging visas, you know, they need they need permanent visas so they can get on with their with their lives. They're not taking people's jobs. Uh, you know, they're not going to be some, you know, drain, you know, on, on society. Uh, you know, so many of many of them are are working, uh, but are, but are effectively not even second class citizens because until they get permanent residency, they can't even become citizens. So the government really has created an, an underclass which is vulnerable to um, you know exploitation and abuse. Absolutely. Now, there are two more brief questions that I want to ask you. Sure, okay. So the Medivac yep. Medi refugees, can you talk yep. about that? Yes. Um, look, that's another grouping of people. I mean, there's probably a bit over, maybe there's 1,200, 1,300 people uh, with who are the Medivac refugees that people know uh, were brought under the Medivac legislation, were brought to Australia for medical treatment. Uh, mostly it was denied to them but when, because they were held in detention in Australia and not released for that medical medical treatment. Now, they've been released from detention, you know, by and large. Uh, you've also got uh, a big grouping uh, of others who were brought from, you know, Nauru and Papua New Guinea, uh, largely for medical treatment, but people might remember the Kids Off Nauru campaign, which brought a large number of families from Nauru, you know, prior, just prior to the Medivac legislation. So you've got around 1,200 people uh, who are so-called transitory persons. Um, now, they're in, the, they're in the Australian community, uh, Generally, on bridging visas, I just talked about six months, you know, bridging visas. Uh, but they also have got a letter from uh, the uh, Home Affairs Department not very long ago, effectively uh, threatening them uh, that they that they had to contact the department uh, to explain uh, how they were actually, you know, the, what what plans they had for actually leaving uh, leaving Australia. So there's certainly an implied threat in that letter, even though. Some of the families have been here since 2014. Uh, so, and, and there's what something like a thousand children have been born, born uh, to the, the tragedy people since they've been in the Australian community. And they're saying, quite rightly, in my opinion, uh, we're not about to we're not about to be uprooted again and told you know, we've got to go to the United States or to New Zealand uh, to remake our lives. They've remade their lives. Uh, in you know in Australia, they've got children here, families here, you know partners here. The Medivac refugees have already done you know ten years in ten years in detention, uh, have been released, have started to get jobs, have started to get some medical treatment that they would have been denied for you know so long. So I think they rightly argue um, they should be you know also entitled you know to permanent visas to stay in Australia. Absolutely, because in your media release, in the media release, um, it says recently that many back refugees were outraged when they recently received letters from Home Affairs with threats that they must leave the country. What does that mean? Uh, well, so they got they got a letter from the Home Affairs Department uh, saying, uh, just repeating the the government policy, you know that uh, they're not entitled, uh, they would never be allowed to resettle in Australia, and they were to contact the department within seven days uh, to explain what arrangements they were making to actually leave leave Australia, and then you know with a little you know contacting to make you you know whether you were going to the United States or wanted to make uh, contact about going to uh, New Zealand, but there was a very clear implied 
threat uh, associated with that. But mm. Many people got that letter and thought perhaps they were going to be re-detained if they didn't actually leave leave Australia. So it caused quite a degree of you know of outrage of concern uh, that you know what these letters letters meant, the intent you know of the letters, because there was you know an implied you know, threat associated with that. Um, so, as I said, many, many of them have just have rightly said, you know, our lives have been made in Australia. They came to Australia in 2013. Only half the people who came to Australia in 2013 were ever sent to Nauru or to, you know, to Manus Island. So people who also came by boat, they were on the same boat. Many of them have got permanent visas now uh, in Australia, but those who were sent offshore are getting letters saying you will never be resettled uh, in Australia. I mean, it is, it's discriminatory from the you know from the outset um, but it's also just adding you know insult to injury you know to say that now they are in Australia um, you know with you know with families other kind of connections to the Australian community Australia still isn't going to provide you know the protection that they asked for you know in 2000 in, you know in 2013 so that's certainly part of the campaign when we campaigning for permanent visas we campaign about the temporary visas about the chefs about the people who have been rejected by fast track and for you know the you know twelve hundred odd people who are on bridging visas uh, for you know as as medevac refugees. Absolutely, and as you say in your media in the media release, justice delayed is justice denied. Six months after Labor was elected, refugees are still being denied justice. Can you talk about um, the rally and just give um, listeners just a little bit of an idea of what speakers there were? Uh, yeah, well, we, I mean, the speaker, there's a um, rally in Sydney. Uh, we had the Green speaker. We had the Rita Malia, that was Maureen Faruqi, who's the Greens, you know, uh, Senator of New South Wales. Uh, we had Rita Malia, who's the president of the CFMEU Construction Division in, you know, in New South Wales. And then I suppose the highlights of the rally was uh, not to take anything away from those two, but really were the two two Tamil, uh, you know, kids, uh, you know, spoke and spoke about, you know, the consequences of being on temporary protection visas, what it had meant for their parents, what it had meant for them and their, you know, their education. And then, too, a mother and daughter who experienced Nauru and, uh, you know, are, you know, part of that you know, that medevac grouping that we've been uh, talking about. And the mother spoke very eloquently of, you know, seeing her, the, the, the teenage years, you know, robbed uh, from, uh, you know, the, the, her, her daughter, you know, on Nauru and the horrific conditions they, you know, they went, that, you know, they went through, you know, on Nauru. And then the daughter actually spoke that the, the fact that she's not allowed to study meant that uh, in spite of, um, you know, doing you know, doing well at school, getting entry to uh, university. Actually, when she turned 18, uh, she was contacted by the department and ripped out of uh, Newcastle uh, University. Uh, so the consequences were very, very, you know, stark. Uh, they were the main speakers at the rally, and uh, you know, I think it did it, it get across in a very poignant way. You know, what what the temporary protection visas and and what the the government's um, failure to guarantee you know, resettlement of people and permanent visas for people in Australia actually actually meant. Look, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Uh, uh, actually, what was the police presence like? I just want to quickly ask. Uh, look, it wasn't so bad in New South, in New South Wales, although there, you know, there's uh, there are times we have lots of issues with them. They still, you know, won't allow us to go down George Street because uh, we'll. You know, block the trams, but uh, we'll take that fight up with them on an, another occasion. So, no, no. Yesterday they were, you know, quite, you know, quite reasonable, Marissa. So we'll, um, mm, yeah, quite we'll surprised leave, at leave that. that discussion for another time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Do and Time show has actually done a lot extensive interviews with, uh, you know, many many communities in regards to uh, police harassment, especially during the COVID. Yes, look, there's a big issue in New South Wales. I mean, you might have seen, but you know, there are many doors because there was a mining, you know, international mining uh, corporation, uh, you know, what summit or whatever conference in uh, New South Wales. The police were knocking on many people's doors. About 35 people that we know of uh, had police knock on their doors. That uh, you know, mostly mostly you know, late at night, uh, you know, threatening them really with you know, we're you know, we're aware that this is going on, and there are very strong anti-protest laws. In New South Wales, there's quite draconian um, anti-protest laws, particularly directed at environmental protesters. Um, but of course, other people are going to be caught by them, 
you know them as well. So um, yeah, no, they, it's not like uh, the you know, the legislation in Australia or the police generally look kindly upon you know protests. You know, uh, you know, far from it. But certainly for the refugee rally, we uh, yeah we didn't have a problem. We marched through the streets, making it very clear to the you know Labor government. Uh, we had a very good chance. You know, sort of. Uh, Hey, Giles, elbow, elbow, here I say, permanent visas, no delay. So we, you know, that's what rang, rang through the streets of Sydney yesterday. Look, thank you so much, Ian, um, for coming onto the program and for giving us such a, a concise um, overview of, of what's been going on. And I'm not sure whether you caught my introduction, but I'm dedicating this broadcast to refugees and asylum seekers today. Yeah, no worries, Mr. No, thanks. Yeah, thanks for that. I hope people um, yeah, got a bit more understanding out of it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Okay, bye for now. Bye. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace, a treaty means equality, and a treaty means justice. Thank you. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Angelini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Elmer Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Munwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's gathering place, Daddy Munmaru, 6 to 8 pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. and you were just listening to an extended interview with Ian Rintel, Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. Just wanted to make a quick announcement before we um, get on to looking at speaking with David, Glance from the Refugee Action Collective in Victoria, that Samantha Lee is, is unable to be interviewed um, about the, the COVID fines and vulnerable communities. And so we'll be speaking with her at a later date. So I will be speaking with David a bit longer, I hope. Despair in refugee communities is reaching boiling point as Labor's budget last week failed to address any of the election promises regarding refugees. And those promises include abolishing the coalition's harmful and punitive fast-track system, which denied protection to many people who are living in an anxious limbo. And we'll be speaking with David very soon about that, continuing our discussion and crossing over to a report back from the rally in Melbourne at the State Library. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. Yeah, good afternoon. How are you going? Lovely to have you. Not bad, not bad, considering. 
<laughs> oh, dearie me, dearie me. Now, David, tell us tell us what's been happening. Lovely to have you. Tell us what's been happening at the, the rally at the State Library and why was it called? Well, there was a, um, a good turnout from a whole range of different refugee communities on Saturday. We gathered at the State Library, I'd say somewhere between four and 500 people, and it, the rally was supported by the Australian Rohingya Human Rights Organisation, uh, the Iranian Women's Association, the Kime Foundation Australia, uh, and other um, refugee communities, Tamils, Somalis, and, and so on. And there was also good support from across the campaigning groups in, in Melbourne, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, the Humanists, uh, Teachers for Refugees, um, uh, and uh, the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, and the Australian Nursing and Midwifery Federation, among others, uh, the Council of Churches, for instance. And the reason we were all there and the reason why the refugees in particular were really fired up is that Labor won the election in May and promised that people on temporary protection visas and something similar called a safe, ha <coughs> pardon me, a safe haven enterprise visa, that those people would get permanent visas. Now, we're talking about people who have been essentially hanging on inside Australia's visa system by their fingernails for nine or ten years, sometimes even longer. Yep. And they've been waiting since May and waiting and waiting, and they're running out of patience uh, because their lives are in limbo. Uh, they're constantly having to renew their visas. They're losing their Medicare card. Every time they have to change their visa, they have to get a new Medicare card. Their kids um, can't go to university without paying uh, overseas student fees. Life is really, really difficult. No access to Centrelink. And these people have been waiting, and they were promised by Labor permanent visas. And the Immigration Minister, Andrew Giles, has said, yes, I'll keep my promise. Well, it's now almost six months since the election and there has not been one word on when these permanent visas will be delivered. And I should say that's a very large group of people. That's probably 19,000 people. But there were others at the rally who have their own reasons to be very angry with the Labor government. There are the people who went through what was laughingly called the fast-track system, something the Liberals brought in really is a way of making it almost impossible for asylum seekers to prove their refugee claims and to take away from them any kind of right of appeal. So basically they were given a very short notice to provide a very complicated response to why they were refugees and then they got dismissed. And there are about 10,000 people in that situation and they're on bridging visas. They have even less security than the people on temporary visas. Then there are the people who were brought to Australia from the camp on Nauru and um, in Manus Island and in Papua New Guinea. Those people have even fewer rights again. They've been told, they've actually received letters from the, um, uh, Claire O'Neill's Home Affairs Minister saying, you will not be in Australia. You must go. You must choose another country. So we're talking about people who are absolutely deprived of certainty, of safety. And that's before we think of another 14,000 people who are trapped in Indonesia, half of them Afghans, who have been told, you can't come to Australia, and you won't be accepted. Now, Labor sort of suggested that maybe they might, six months on, silence. And so you've got tens of thousands of people who are living life absolutely absolutely hanging on by their fingernails, and they've had enough. Some of them have gone up and protested in Canberra. Some have protested at MPs' offices here. And on Saturday, what we saw were those communities coming together, speaking out and taking to the streets, saying every refugee and asylum seeker deserves permanent protection. And the Refugee Action Collective and all the other refugee supporters were there saying, absolutely, we agree with you 100% and we'll keep on fighting alongside you. Absolutely. And it's interesting how 
um, Labor has also promised to scrap the fast-track system, but there's no commitment to review the rejected cases. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, they have made those sorts of promises. The, the, the promise to get rid of temporary visas and safe haven visas is probably the standout. That's the one where they actually went out and made the promise most clearly. But if you go through the Labour Party platform, if you've got nothing else to do with an evening, um, you'll find all sorts of things where they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll come up with a better system than fast track. Yes, they might look at taking on some refugees from Indonesia, but there's, there's no progress at all. And with the fast track, they haven't... What, what, what we're saying is, is that everybody who was rejected by the fast track system, which is a bit of a... Yeah, it's a stupid name because what mm. it really was was a fast get lost system mm. um, designed by the Liberals to make it very, very difficult for people to get refugee status. We're, we're arguing that everybody should have the right to be reassessed and have the right to put their case properly and calmly in a, in a, in a, in a way uh, where they, they don't feel freaked out by, by the process. Some of us are actually raising... Um, the idea that there should just be a general um, asylum, uh, uh, not asylum, what's the word, um, amnesty, a, a general amnesty. And all those people should, should simply be granted people. And that would get no real argument from me. So you've got people who have lived here for, as I say, sometimes 10, sometimes 12 years. I was talking to a man uh, at the rally. He'd been in Australia 12 years. He had still not been told, and he's in a different category again, he still hasn't been told whether his claim to be a refugee has been approved. After 12 oh. years, um, the, 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 the human distress is, is absolutely huge. We talked uh, to a, there's a couple, an Iranian man who has not been accepted, at least yet, as a refugee. His wife is Italian. Uh, she got pregnant because of the pandemic. She went back to Italy to have the child. It's taken two and a half years for them to see each other again. And they cannot, he cannot leave the country because he cannot get papers. She can't come here because she's a, a tourist. And the man has only just met his two and a half year old son for the first time in the last few days. These are the kinds of stories that you hear over and over again. You hear other stories of people where some members of the family uh, have made it to Australia and were accepted as permanent residents and in some cases now are citizens. But they have family members who weren't accepted or they have family members in Indonesia. There's a man in, uh, who was, made it here, got here early enough before the door slammed shut. He's now a citizen. His wife is in Indonesia trying to come to Australia. She can't come here. He can go and visit her. Uh, and they've got a family together. But he has to go to Indonesia to meet her. And she's in Indonesia without the right to work, the right to study, without any protection whatsoever. These stories are just heartrending. Absolutely. And... The what were you saying? There was an Italian couple, was it? Um, it's an Iranian man. Uh, Iranian, uh, sorry. Yeah. Iranian man and an Italian. His partner is oh. Italian. So she has finally managed to get here on a tourist visa with their son, so that he can actually see his son for the first time. He can't go to Italy to try and claim asylum there because he can't. He's not allowed to leave the country because he's, he's, he doesn't have any proper status. He can't go back to Iran, because it's very obvious that's extremely dangerous. The, the regime is killing people on the streets and in the prisons and in their torture chambers. Um, and so what's going to happen? They're protesting every day outside the immigration department at number two Lonsdale Street in the city. And I would encourage anyone who can make it into the city to get to pop by and give them moral support. Um, but they are one of thousands and thousands of stories where this country, which supposedly is so civilised and caring, has, is treating people like rubbish. And 
We keep on reminding Labour that on the night of the election, Anthony Albanese said, no one would be left behind. Well, he should have put an asterisk on that speech because what he meant was no one who's already in Australia is going to be left behind. And we can argue that's a bit of a joke anyway if you're trying to get by on $45 a day on, on, on job seeker, um, or you're relying on a food bank to feed your family. But he said no one will be left behind. And we're saying, OK, let's take you at your word. If you mean that, make sure that no refugee, no asylum seeker is left behind because these people are in the worst possible situation. You know, David, it's interesting, as I was talking to you, I was actually reminded of a, of a very, very emotional interview that I did with um, Ali, who was, I don't know if you remember Ali, who was in detention in Victoria for quite mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. And he was a, a, a refugee who I think was there because he, he breached his permanent residency with some type of petty petty um, petty traffic offence. Anyway, he was talking to us about a young man who couldn't speak English. He was was dumped in, in Australia with with one of those um, those ridiculous bridging visas. He had no work, and this was um, some years ago now. And this young man actually took a packet of biscuits from Seven Eleven. Now mm-hmm. he was hungry. He was hungry. He was on the street. He had nowhere to live, and he took the biscuits. And they, the police still wanted to charge him and take it to court, even though. Ali offered to pay Seven Eleven for the biscuits. Mm, mm. I mean, this is and, just awful. Yeah, because some people on bridging visas are allowed to work, but of yes. course their visa runs out every six months, so they have to Correct. hope that the, the boss will take them back on again. Sure. Uh, some people are allowed to get Centrelink, but they're not allowed to work. There's a real mishmash of conditions. Yes, there is, and, yeah. And some people have no support whatsoever, like this young guy you're talking about. And, of course, if he takes a packet of biscuits, because basically he's starving and relying on charity, he then can be deemed to be of bad character and he can be thrown into immigration detention. It sounds from what you're saying, that's what happened. Yes. And then he can be there forever because if he comes from a country where he cannot be sent back, uh, for instance, to Iran, for the sake of argument, he can't be sent back. He's not allowed to live in Australia. Um, the chances of him being accepted by the United States or Canada or whatever is extremely slim. And so you're looking at people who could live the rest of their lives up at Mitre, uh, the detention centre on Camp Road in Broadmeadows, or people tend to get shuffled around to, between the detention centres because... Mm. The bureaucrats like to have their fun and uh, move people around. That is a really serious proposition. And if you said to somebody, do you think somebody should be locked up for the rest of their life without release? And they, exactly. They, people might say, yes, if they're a mass murderer and they abuse children yeah. and murder children. Maybe those people would say, okay, for those, for those cases. Not everybody would. Some people would say 30 or 40 years is enough. Stealing a packet of biscuits when you're not allowed to work and you're not given Centrelink and you could be locked up for the rest of your life. And that is that kind of situation. Precisely. It's not uh, look at Joey. Do you, do you, you know Joey, the, the Tonga oh, man? I know Joey very well. I've been yeah. We interviewed him, uh, I'd say, a couple of weeks ago now. And his story is horrific, David. Yeah. And, and Joey would be the first to say, that, yes, he did jail time and he did something wrong. He's, he's quite upfront sure. about that. Yeah. But if you were a citizen and you do jail time, you go home afterwards. You might be on probation. You might have to you know, do this, that and the other. But you're basically free to go home to your loved one and to try and start to rebuild your life. But a situation where if you're not a citizen and Joey is not a citizen, you can go straight from prison when you're released into immigration detention and from immigration detention to be deported to a country where you may not have lived since you were a a child. The point is, Joey did some jail time. There are people in my past who are in detention who have done no jail time 
and have not even been charged with an offence, but just the suspicion that they're hanging out with the wrong sort of people is enough to get your visa cancelled. And that's the kind of situation that was being talked about you might, you know, a week or two ago, the media was going full bore, um, and, and so were the mainstream parties, at Lydia Thorpe, the Green Senator. Yes. Because, lordy lordy, she had a friend who was once in the rebel motorbike gang who had never committed, a, um, never been found guilty uh, of, of a crime, and that was Dean Martin. His brother Shane was deported and died in New Zealand shortly afterwards under these sorts of character provisions. So, yet refugees can end up back in essentially permanent detention. Non-citizens can end up in permanent detention very often, sometimes for doing nothing except having the wrong friends. If Livia thought wasn't a citizen, she could be in immigration detention for having the wrong friends. Uh, There's a level of totalitarianism that is hidden from most people. It doesn't affect 95, 98% of the people, 99% of the time. And so people just don't know this is going on. But those things are going on. They were going on to the Liberals. They got worse under the Liberals. And it is the Labour's shame they have not yet made any positive changes, either for refugees or for uh, people who are faced with deportation, so-called um, 501. And that's a disgrace. And that's what we said loud and clear. People wanted Labour to deliver change. People hoped that Labour would deliver change. Six months on, not a skerrick of change. So we're back on the streets, and we're back on the streets, and we're really angry. Absolutely. And, it's in, you know, I'm really glad that you made that comment about Lydia Thorpe because it's all about guilty by association. It's about genocide and colonisation and refugees and asylum seekers are, are, are in a rotten colonised system. Yes, absolutely. I mean, until very recently, there were, at the time that Lydia Thorpe raised some of these issues in Parliament, the Department of Home Affairs admitted there were 25 Indigenous people in immigration detention. Um, and, and that's, and that's uh, in, in a sense, that's why they're angry with Lydia Thorpe, because she asked awkward questions about First Nations people who were at risk of being deported. Now, one small thing the government has done, which is important, is that they've dropped a legal challenge that was begun under the Liberals that would have made it more likely that Indigenous people could be deported. Now, Labour has backed away from that. It's a, it's a small technical legal thing that has an impact on the lives of dozens of Indigenous people who have now been released back into the community. But the fact that we've got a Migration Act, a migration regime, that makes it possible for a First Nations person to be deported from Australia, and that was the case with Shane Martin uh, and, and others, is a disgrace. So we, we protested on Saturday. We will be looking... We will be discussing, in fact, tonight at the Refugee Action Collective for um, regular organising meeting, we'll be discussing um, another action of some sort on International Human Rights Day, which is Saturday, the 10th of December. I don't know what that will be yet, because we haven't had that, that discussion. But I think I'm confident we will be back on the streets again in one one shape or form or, or another. Um and as I say, I encourage people to go to the immigration department in the city and give support to the family, asking to live together. It's a very simple demand. Indeed. And, and just while we're in the subject of Indigenous people being deported, when you say Indigenous people, are you what, which, what are you talking about exactly? Uh, these would be people who would have one Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander parent and then another parent, often Maori from uh, Aotearoa, from New Zealand, sometimes from Papua New Guinea, New Guinea, somewhere, obviously, sometimes from other places. And so someone can be biologically descended from a First Nation um, uh, nation in, in Australia, accepted by the community as a member of that community, identify with that community, 
But if they don't have citizenship papers, they, they run the risk of being deported. Now, that immediate risk has now receded because the High Court said, no, you can't deport someone with an Aboriginal parent who you know, who's accepted by Aboriginal communities. Um, and Labor has now dropped the legal challenge. But, but that's, that's the kind of situation we were talking about. You could be a member of an Aboriginal community, identified as a member of that community, accepted by that community, with um, dissent from that community. And until very recently, there was a danger you could be deported if you didn't have an Australian citizenship papers. Uh, that's crazy because a lot of Aboriginal people don't even have a birth certificate. Yes, I know. And that's, yeah, not, yeah. That's, that's not right. No, I know that there are campaigns running to actually try to get birth certificates for Aboriginal people because if they were born in uh, more remote communities, as you say, they may not have the paperwork. They, they belong to country. They know their country better than you and I could, could in a thousand years. But without that bit of paper, uh, they're, they're at um, greater risk. It also means they, they may have more difficulty accessing welfare payments or having the right to vote. And if one of their parents is from overseas and they haven't got a citizenship paper, then they, you only have to commit a very small crime, especially under, under Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton, to be thrown in immigration detention. So they can still be deported? No, not now. Not now. High court rules, someone who is Indigenous, um, you know, the the classic test, a a physical descent, a biological descent, and a self-identification and acceptance by the community cannot be deported. The Liberals were challenging that, and the lawyers were saying that there was a very good chance the Liberals would win, and that meant that probably 25 Indigenous people in immigration detention would be deported quite quickly. That's one area where Labor has acted with a degree of principle. They've dropped that legal challenge, so the High Court Good. ruling stands. Uh, and it would be even better if Labor put that into law. Uh, but right now, no, Indigenous people in that situation can't be deported. But the very fact it was possible, and possible lots of six months ago, but, um, tells you what a rotten racist system we live under. Absolutely. David, I'm so glad that we were able to have this extended interview. There is one final question. Would you just be able to let listeners know what speakers were at the rally and just let us know the police presence? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, the, well, we had a range of speakers. Um, Samantha Ratnam, the leader of the Victorian Greens, spoke, so she's uh, an MP in the Victorian Parliament. Pauline Brown from Labor for Refugees spoke and was really um, fierce against Labor's inaction and backsliding. She gave them a real serve. It's a very powerful speech. Uh, we heard from Nogs Husseini from the Iranian Women's Association. And, of course, she pointed out uh, the situation for um, Iranians in, in Iran and, therefore, the ridiculous situation that Iranian asylum seekers have not, in many cases, haven't been accepted as refugees or are living on temporary protection visas. The government is saying, oh, what's happening in Iran is terrible. The government shouldn't be attacking protesters in the streets. And then it's refusing safe haven, real permanent safe haven to Iranian refugees in this country. And she made that point really powerfully. Um, Nazir Yousafi from the Victorian Afghan Associations Network, and, uh, and that's, uh, I believe, a Hazara uh, organisation. I hope I've got that, that, that right. Yeah. And there are Afghans in this country who have been refused safe haven, refused uh, refugee status on the ground that it's safe to go back to Kabul. It's an absolute absolute joke. No, of course it's not safe. But the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade is still saying, oh, yes, you can go back to Kabul and you won't get killed. And so on that basis uh, of that really false, misleading advice, um, uh, the Immigration 
officials will then review, uh, refuse refugee status. We also heard from a couple of speakers from the Kind Foundation of Australia, and that's a, a Shia Muslim foundation uh, community uh, in northern, northern Pakistan. We heard from a member, and we also heard from an imam. Um, and Salamul Arif Hussain, who's from the Rohingya Human Rights Organization, and the Rohingya, just to remind people, are the uh, oppressed Muslim minority in the west of what used to be called Burma, and it's now called now called Myanmar. There was also a speaker from the Somali community, and I'm afraid I didn't catch their name. That's okay. Uh, they, spoke, they spoke a bit late. Can, can I just add in one? Oh, yes, very them. briefly, yep. All right. One is there is a plan to send to for refugees and supporters to converge on the federal parliament on November the 29th. If anybody who is listening is interested in going up on a bus to Canberra on November the 29th, if you email Refugee Action Collective, all one word, at gmail.com, we'll let you know the details. So Refugee Action Collective at gmail.com. The, uh, the other thing is that we will be holding a forum on the 5th of December, so before International Human Rights Day, about the situation for refugees in Indonesia. And one of our, um, well, you, I think we spoke just before to Ian Rintoul. He's just come back from Indonesia as part of a fact-finding tour. And one of the RAC Victoria activists, Margaret Sinclair, was also part of that fact-finding tour. And they and some of the refugees in Indonesia will be speaking about the situation there and why it's so important that the ban on refugees being able to come to Australia is lifted by the Labor government. I recommend you check out, check out the uh, RACVIC Facebook page and you'll find the event there. Plenty to do. David, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Take care. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be having you back very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And you just heard two extended interviews with Ian and David from two separate refugee organisations. Um, in Victoria and New South Wales. It's approximately 4, 4.57 and I'm out of here. Um, we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.